I want to tell you that I am very thankful, relating back to last week, um, I am grateful that you helped me and allowed me and I trusted the Lord to preach my very first sermon on tithing. Those of you that were not here last week, that was the first time that Dr. Don here has ever gotten before a crowd and said, this is what God's word says about tithing. I had avoided it because too many preachers say money, 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 money. And I had had an inappropriate reaction to that. And I want you to hear the word inappropriate because I had just reacted. I'm just not going to beg for money. And I'm not begging for money. What I'm saying last week and this week, and yes, we're going to talk about it more today. But what we're saying is from Scripture, it is from God's plan, it is from our overflow of the love that we share with Jesus Christ. Then we give. Because I said to you last week, I'm going to review just a little bit, but I said to you last week that giving is basic to the Christian experience. And it's first resounded in this beautiful, powerful scripture passage that we hear, say, believe, memorize, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, he gave to us, so we need to give to him. And I told you last week that it is an experience of the heart. And where does this heart come from? You and I need to have an attitude of the heart, of love and of giving and of sacrifice. That word that we don't really like sometimes. But I'm looking at the screen and on the screen are the three of the six points that I shared with you last week. And the first one says, God's grace empowers joyful giving. Well, that's where the attitude of the heart comes from. Because... You and I are kind of stingy, selfish people. We think about ourselves too much of the time. And yet, when we think about the Lord and His love, then we get a proper attitude of the heart. That's God's grace moving in you, God's Spirit moving in you, and then you're able to sacrifice and to serve and to give. And we give with joy. And then joyful giving should come from the overflow. Now, it, it is something, and we looked last week at these people uh, in the Macedonian churches where they were living in poverty. They didn't have a lot, but yet the overflow of their love helped them to sacrifice that next statement there. Sacrificial giving produces joy. Well, that's true. And I want to ask you, if you don't realize that, to just give to the Lord or give to your loved ones or give and see the joy that comes because that's part of it. Now we'll look at the next three things that I talked about last week. Joyful giving is an act of worship to our Lord. When we come with a giving, cheerful, joyful heart, and we sacrificially, willingly give to the church, to God's kingdom, to 
to all of what he would lead us to do, then we are worshiping just as we do when we pray, when we sing, when we preach his word, when we fellowship. It's all an act of worship. And so giving is an act of worship. And our love is demonstrated in joyful giving. Now my question is, do you really think about loving Jesus Christ? And I'm stopping there on purpose. I didn't forget or... I want you to think about that. Do you actively, specifically think about you as a man or a woman loving your Lord Jesus Christ? I want us to think about that. I want me to think about that. And then out of that love, we give. And that's a demonstration. I hope you give to others if they need it. I told you last week, Mickey and I have had the opportunity of giving to our family, giving to other people. Uh, we've actually, you may not know this, but we've been married 57 years, and about half of that time, we've had people living in our home. We've had people, we got keys to our house all over the country because everybody that's lived with us, we gave them a key. And that was a statement of love. We give you this key to that front door and... I mentioned to somebody this morning that when we were in seminary, when I was working on my PhD, we had a whole group of students from the seminary and also from Baylor University, which is about 90 miles away in Waco, Texas. And we had about 15 people that had keys to our house. And some of those kids from Baylor, they would end up coming up to Dallas or to Fort Worth and come into a conference or to a concert or something like that. And we'd get up on a Sunday or a Saturday morning and come in. And there were people to sleep on our living room floor. Now that was part of because we gave to these young adults that we loved. We gave them a key. And they would just come and let themselves in. And I'm sure they also raided the refrigerator some when they came in. And that was okay. It was just part of our life. So that's the kind of love that we need to share. And the gift of Jesus is the ultimate example of joyful giving. Do you understand that even to the cross, and I shared with you last week, reminded you of the beautiful passage in the second chapter of Philippians. We're not looking at it right now, but just remember, because it says that he sacrificed or became obedient even to death on the cross. And he went to that death with a sense of joy. With a sense of joy going to the cross. And we're going to come to this table today to remember that. And the fact is, is that that is part of his love for you and me. And his gift brings us to joyful giving. Now, please remember those things we talked about last week. Because this is the second part of last week. Last week was part number one. And now I'm picking up my little book here. I'm not going to show you what's all in the book. See, it's, it's all good. Good scripture and beautiful statements. And we're going to go to the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. Last week we were in the eighth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to see these various verses through... 9 through, we're going to probably go through verse 11, but we're going to take them one at a time. 
because I want to break them apart a little bit for you and me. I want us to think about what these things are saying. About what? About joyful giving. About sacrificial giving. About you and I giving to God's kingdom, to God's church, for ministry, not just for personal gain, but for ministry, for outreach, for growth. And in the first verse that we look at, and it's here on the screen, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now we're going to stop right there. I want you to think about that. If It's specifically saying, if you sow sparingly, hesitantly, maybe even a little unwillingly, there's a chance that you're going to reap sparingly. Now there's a, a thing to be thought about. But if you sow generously, if you give with a generous, joyful, cheerful heart, then you're also going to get rewards based on that generosity. Now, here's my question. And I'm sure everybody asks this question. That is scripture, yes. Paul is writing it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, yes. But is this generous reaping, is this talking about Material gains or spiritual gains? Is it spiritual rewards or is it material, practical rewards? Now I'm asking you just to think about that. My thought is it's both. Because absolutely, when we give with a cheerful heart, joyful, willingly, and we give with generosity then spiritually there's going to be more joy, there's going to be more sense of servitude, there's going to be more sense of honoring the love that we have for Jesus Christ, there's going to be more and more and more of spiritual benefits. And so you're going to reap the generous rewards spiritually. But I also believe that this is saying that we're going to reap material, uh, practical, uh, real-life rewards. That, and here's the word, and I'm going to qualify this in just a moment, but that as we give generously, God is going to prosper you and prosper your family and prosper our church in a godly, appropriate fashion. Now, we're going to look at a couple of other passages of Scripture that indicate this same kind of uh, situation. So we're going to put on the screen something from Proverbs. This is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. And it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. So if you give freely, you're going to gain more. But another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. There is the lack of rewards when you hold back from giving to the Lord. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. There is even an emotional, spiritual reward right there in refreshment in the Lord. And then we're going to look at Malachi, the third chapter, 
verse 10. And this is a well-known passage related to giving and tithing because it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And we believe that that is the local church. That there may be food in my house, the Lord says. And he says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So basically, those two verses, one from Proverbs, the other from Malachi, it is saying that when we give generously, then there's going to be generous rewards. There's going to be prosperity. Now let's be careful and listen very carefully because I'm not in favor of what is now called the prosperity gospel. That is a distortion of this very powerful, correct, appropriate teaching from God's word. People that believe in the prosperity gospel, they are wrapped up in looking at Almighty God and depending or getting him to just bless them for the blessings that they receive. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at our Heavenly Father and honor him for who he is. I want to take you back, if you were here, several months ago because we talked about what I call, what others are calling, worshipful prayer. And if you remember correctly, I talked to you about seeking God's face and not just his hand. Well, there's the difference between what I believe is the appropriate consideration for what we're talking about here versus prosperity gospel because those in prosperity gospel just want to seek God's hand for what he might give. But we're supposed to seek God's face for getting to know him and honor him as our heavenly father. So this verse, these verses, my statements right now are not related to what's called the prosperity gospel. I think that is just a mistake. It's a distortion of the true teachings of God. And I'm not by myself. There are many, 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 many people more knowledgeable than myself that are against the prosperity gospel. But we are in favor, I am in favor, of looking at Scripture and understanding that when we give with a right attitude of heart, that we are going to be rewarded with God's blessings and God's prospering us appropriately, giving to us what we need. And so that's what we find there in the ninth chapter of Second Corinthians, verse 6. So now we're going to go to verse 7. And we'll go back to that on the, the, the screen. In verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the first thing I want to emphasize from that passage right there is that you are to give what you have decided in your heart. You're not to give what Pastor Don tells you to give. You're not to give because the finance committee says we need to give. Yes, Scripture says that we are to give as a part of our Christian life. And then it says that we are to do this through the grace of God 
that he then creates in our heart through loving relationship that which we're to give. And so, yes, that fits perfectly here because it says that we are to decide in our heart. You are your family. You're to decide in your heart what is to give. Now, we just got through talking about giving generously. And we talk about, last week, talk about giving sacrificially. Sometimes giving more than what your budget calls for. If, if, if God leads your heart and your mind to make that decision. I don't want anybody, and, and I had one fine lady in our church this past week, and this may have been the most affirming thing that she said to me. She said, Don, I appreciated what I preached last, what you preached last Sunday, and she said, but I appreciate the fact that you gave us the truth, but you gave it gently. <laughs> now, I thank this, this lady, because I wanted to give it gently, not demanding or commanding that you and I give thus and so and thus and so. That's not what scripture says. You submit yourself to the Lord, you seek the Lord, and then you let his grace empower your heart and mind, and then you make a decision to give, and even sometimes to give where it doesn't make sense. Meaning that, oh my gosh, I really feel convicted by the Lord to give X number of dollars and I got to pay my electric bill. Yeah, all of us have to pay our bills. But God also promises that he will take care of what we need. And that is a promise from our Heavenly Father. A promise. And he always lives up to his promises. So here it says that the, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I've got to tell you this. I, some of you may know, uh, or know of a man by the name of John Piper. He's a very well-known pastor and theologian and Christian teacher. And he's a bit more demonstrative than what I get. But I was flipping through some of his material and I saw this picture or video of him. And he was talking about being a cheerful giver. And he was waving his hands and saying, look... If you're not a cheerful giver, then just keep your check. Do not even give it. God doesn't want it if it's not from a cheerful heart. And I smiled at that because he was being very, very dramatic and emphatic. And that may be very well true because God wants us to give from a loving heart, a cheerful heart, a joyful heart. And if we're going to give it because the pastor told you to, are you going to give it with any begrudging attitude, then maybe God would just say, no, go ahead and use your money someplace else. He wants us to give with a joyful, cheerful heart. Now, why? Why does he want us to give? Why do we need to give? What is this? There is always a purpose in the plan. When we come before the Heavenly Father. He has a reason why he wants us to give. And so I want you to look at verse 8 of Second Corinthians chapter 9. And it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now there's the grace 
statement. God is able to bless you abundantly. So in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every what? Good work. Here's your purpose. You and I are to serve. You and I are to be about God's work. We're to join him in what he's already doing. You're to witness. You're to serve. You're to teach. You're to be compassionate. You're to be in good fellowship. And here in this verse, it says he makes all grace abound to you so that... That's always an interesting word. We're going to see it again in just a moment. He's giving you grace. He's giving you power for this whole giving process so that... What? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need... Now, there's all mentioned three times right there. I want you to pay attention to that. That's emphatic. That's repetition. That's where God is saying that when you participate in this kind of cheerful, joyful giving, that he will give you all grace and all things at all times. In fact, there are four. I'm sorry. I miscounted. There are four alls in that statement of Scripture. And we have what we need to abound in all or every good work, meaning that we're going to be about the, the work of God. And then it just goes on and quotes a scripture that comes from Psalms 112, verse 9. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then verse 10 goes on with this whole sense of service and doing the good work because it says now he supplies, he who supplies seed to the sower, now that's you, that's me. We're to be the sower of God's love, of God's truth, of ministry, of service, of God's ways. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and here's the key passage or key, key phrase in this verse. And he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That means that when we give with a cheerful, joyful heart, he's going to increase the righteousness. He's going to increase the ministry. He's going to increase the fruit that comes from our service. Now, King's Grant Baptist Church, I want you to hear that. I want you to understand that that passage of Scripture is saying that when we give, when we sacrifice, when we give what we're supposed to, when we give what God has led us to, then He is going to bless, use that word, He's going to bless the work that we do. He's going to bless our ministry. He's going to bless our fellowship. That's part of what God does. And it says that he's going to enlarge. Now that would be a growth concept. He's going to enlarge the harvest. The harvest means the taking in of God's people and God's fruit. He's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So that's part of his purposes. He's going to enlarge our righteousness. Now, again, let me just pause here and... Think about righteousness for a second. Where do we get righteousness? You're not righteous. I'm not righteous. Yes, we're righteous because of what? Because of Jesus Christ in your life. 
Now I want to go over to the sixth chapter of Matthew. We're going to put that on the screen here for, for just a moment because this passage of scripture is a, I've used this passage. It is something that has to do with worrying and trusting the Lord and absolutely that's a part of this whole thing. For our church family and our finances and our giving and our growth and our righteousness, we are to not worry. Now, I told you last week, and it is a fact, I'm sorry I have to share this fact, but it is a fact that we have discovered through some of our research that in the last three years, our giving at King's Grant has diminished by 22%. Now, I said that last week. I'm saying it again. I want that number to sink in. That's a big number, folks. Now, not to be alarmed, not to worry, not to fret over that, not to accuse anything or anybody of that, but because Matthew 6 says, do not worry, what are we to do? We're to seek the Lord. We're to trust the Lord. And then he will give the increase in our harvest of righteousness because it goes on to say, in the midst of this, or down toward the end of this passage of scripture, but seek first the king, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Jesus is saying these words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six. He's saying, "Seek me first, Jesus is saying. And this is what this passage of scripture says: "Seek his kingdom." the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, and seek his righteousness. In other words, pay attention, live your life, be involved in trusting the Lord, know, know that he's going to do what he says right here because he says, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I'm saying, my belief absolutely is, is that when we give, when we trust the Lord, he then gives us all that we need spiritually, emotionally, relationally, fellowship-wise, materially, financially, all of that. He gives us all that we need to be involved in his work, in his ministry. And he promises us that he will provide all this and go back to what we just read a moment ago in Second Corinthians. He's going to enlarge our harvest of righteousness. Now that is a very powerful statement I do not want you to miss. I don't want to miss it. I have the privilege of being the leader right now. And I don't want to miss that. And I'm looking forward to that. But you and I have got to embrace that. And understand that this is part of what God is asking of us. So therefore, verse 11, back in, in 2 Corinthians. We'll go back to that. And we will look at 2 Corinthians. And it says, you will be made rich in every way. Down here, you will be enriched in every way. Now does that mean, again, that you're going to have lots of money? I don't know. But we're not in favor of the prosperity gospel. But it says you will be enriched in every way. And there's, then there's those two words again. 
so that. Let me tell you, when you read scripture and you see so that, you better pay attention because what God, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and me through that scripture is you're going to get this, do this, be a part of this so that there will be something powerful and proper in God's will and God's plan. So it says you're going to be enriched in every way when you give according to what this is teaching so that you can be generous on every occasion and your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now there it is again. My question to you and me is, do we want to be generous in our relationships with people, in our fellowship in our church? Do we want to be joyful givers? Do we want to be involved in this increase, this enlargement of our harvest of righteousness? I do, and I pray that you do also. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment because I'm going to read the last part of 2 Corinthians 9. I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I want you to absorb uh, verses 12 through 15. And so just listen and look at what these words say. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Please think about that. When we give joyfully, cheerfully, sacrificially, it's supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thankfulness to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Now, we are to witness. Now, part of what this is saying is that when we give, and we give with a cheerful heart, we give with joy, we give with sacrifice, then that is going to increase and it accompanies our witness. It, it solidifies your witness even to other people. It accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, in their hearts, they will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. In other words, when we give, that's part of us demonstrating to people that God is real, that Jesus Christ is true that we are committed with all of what we are. We are committed with our spirit, with our time, with our talents, with giving to his church, giving to his kingdom, but we're also committed to giving with our finances. And I am saying to you that yes, I do that, we are to do that, that that is a part of our basic commitment to our Heavenly Father. Now, we come here to this table. Now, I'm interested in the fact that we were supposed to have the Lord's Supper last Sunday, and we were not able to have it. 
not according, not any fault of ours, but we just did not have all of the, the supplies. And so we had to put it off. And I regretted that because we have a, a commitment to the first Sunday of every month. We come to the Lord's table. But it has occurred to me this week that this is part of God's plan. Surprise, surprise. Why do I say that? Because last week I was given the privilege of talking about giving and giving with joy in our hearts and giving as the Lord leads us and as scripture teaches us. And this week we followed up on that with what I've just said to you about sacrificial giving and increasing the harvest of our righteousness, increasing our witness to people all around us. And that also leads us right here to this table. And so I'm absolutely convinced that we were not supposed to have it last week. We were supposed to have it today as we concluded this two-part message or teaching about giving with a cheerful, joyful heart. Now, why am I saying all that? Because this right here represents the gift that Jesus Christ has given to you and me. The most important gift is your salvation and my salvation. And without that salvation, excuse me, without the cross, without this table, without the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ, we would not have salvation. This is where Jesus Christ gave us the gift. The gift of ultimate, absolute, unbelievable, sacrificial love. And he did it with joy. That is absolutely mind-boggling. Because if you think about the brutality of his broken body and his spilt blood, the, the horror of what he went through the night before the crucifixion, going to the cross, being put on the cross, agonizing on the cross for hours. How in the world could he do that with joy? Because the joy was in his sacrifice for the people he loves. Now, I want you to hear that I just put that in the present tense, not in the past tense. I did not say for the people he loved. I said for the people he loves. That's you and me. That's this community. That's our church. That is what we're called to do and to be as Christian men and women. And we come here to this table to remember that he gave, willingly gave his broken body and spilt blood with joy, he approached the cross. We read that last week in the book of Hebrews. With joy, he faced the cross. And surely, we can face the need to give. Let's pray for a moment.